Now this morning I want to speak to you about the importance of affirming one another. Now, I am conscious that affirming is a loaded word, isn't it, in our culture. It's a word that has been weaponized by those who hate the one true God. You see, in our society, affirming someone means validating how they feel about themselves. Uh, No matter how evil their thoughts and feelings are, that is not the affirmation I'm talking about. That is not affirmation, in fact. That is promoting evil. The affirmation I'm talking about, I want to talk to you about this morning, is about commending that which honors God in the lives of his saints. Affirmation in the Bible is direct or indirect praise of God by acknowledging his goodness and his grace in other people. It is praising God by praising his grace in others. That's what affirmation really is. And this is what I want us to learn today. Praising God by praising what God is doing in the lives of others. Praising with words. Praising with action. Right? Now, we are looking at this issue because we are continuing our study of this final section of Colossians. We are in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. And in this passage, Paul is reminding us several things, actually. First is reminding the Colossians, if you, um, first is reminding the Colossians that he wants them to welcome two men that are coming to visit them, Tychicus and Onesimus. And the third man, called John Mark, uh, he wants them to welcome these brothers. And so we, when we looked at that passage last time, we talked about the importance of welcoming one another in the church. Because that's the first thing Paul is teaching us in this passage. The second thing Paul is teaching the Colossians is on the importance of encouraging other followers of Jesus and receiving encouragement from them. And we really took that from that verse 8, didn't we? I have sent it, speaking of Tychicus, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that it may encourage your hearts. And then we looked at verse 11, which Paul himself talks about the encouragement he has received. Speaking of Aristarchus and John Mark and Jesus Justus, he says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom, and they have been a comfort to me. They have been an encouragement to me. And so we, had a, we learned about work, the importance of welcoming one another two weeks ago, and also the importance of encouraging one another, receiving encouragement and giving it. But there is a third thing Paul is doing in this passage as well. Paul is modeling for us the importance of affirming one another. Because that's what actually what Paul, when you step back and you ask yourself, what is Paul doing? Well, in verse 7 to verse 16 and perhaps verse 17, Paul is affirming the true faith of these people. As he writes down these names, he's saying, these are true believers. I have seen something in them worthy of praising God for what God is doing in them. And so this passage is about welcoming, it's about encouraging one another, and it's about affirming one another. And as Paul affirms these people, he wants us to learn the importance of affirming one another. This is what I want us to look at now. I want us to learn three truths here that the Apostle Paul is teaching us about the importance of affirming 
one another. And these truths are in your outline at the back. If you go one of these, it's there at the back there. The first truth there on your outline is simply this. God wants us to affirm one another. Straightforward, isn't it? God wants all true followers of Christ to commend or to testify of what God is doing in the lives of others. God wants us to praise the goodness of God we are seeing in other followers of Christ by praising other followers of Christ. He wants us to shout it out, we might say. Because I said, this passage is a long list of Paul doing just that. He is affirming those he believes in his heart are living as true followers of Jesus. A few examples. Look at verse 7, for example. In verse 7, Paul affirms Tychicus. We looked at this last time. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the gospel. Or in the Lord. Paul is saying of Tychicus, Tychicus is a true brother in Christ. He is loved by God and is loved by other people because he is in the Lord. He shows evidence of true regeneration. He shows evidence of somebody who God has really changed and, and Paul wants to shout it out to them. He's affirming Tychicus. In verse 12 to verse 13, Paul affirms Epaphras. We'll look at Epaphras more this evening, but listen to what Paul says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. By the way, the word servant there means a slave. We'll talk about that this evening. Epaphras is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus. A doulos greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And then listen to what he says. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. Listen, Paul toiled and worked hard, agonized. And now for Paul to say of this man, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. He really has. And for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Paul is saying Epaphras is a real deal. He lives as a slave of Christ and a servant of the people around him. He is Christ-like in his agonizing prayers for the people. He is a godly man who works through pain. By the way, worked out there literally means pain and distress in the original. He has worked out through pain and distress to share Christ and build up others. Not just at Colossae, but also at Laodicea. That's an affirmation. He's praising Epaphras. He's praising God by praising Epaphras. Praising the evidence of God's work. In Epaphras' life. In verse 15, Paul affirms a woman of Laodicea, who is most likely, by the way, a widow. And verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in our house. Now, you're probably thinking, I don't see any commendation there. Well, this is because, you see, you are reading this with 21st century eyes. You are living in a society where women excel in many areas of life and are treated with full human dignity and respect. In the first century, it was not like that. During the time of Epaphras and Paul, it wasn't like that. For example, in Jewish society, the law held women as inferior to men in all legal matters. In the book of Sirach, which was widely used by the Pharisees at the time, it says the wickedness of a man is better than any good thing a woman does. That's what the Pharisees believed. You see, it was an error for rabbis and 
teachers to allow women to follow them. Most rabbis did not even speak to women in public, not even to their wives. But Christ turned that upside down. Women followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And they followed Christ because Christ treated women as persons of full dignity and worth before God. And so here, by Paul, an apostle of Christ, publicly mentioning Nympha, is continuing modeling the Lord Jesus Christ. He is directly affirming this woman, this woman who in the society around she wouldn't be valued, but now God has saved her, has brought her among his people, and Paul sees something of Christ's likeness in her and commends her like Christ himself would. He affirms our hospitality of the church. She's most likely a widow, that's why her husband isn't mentioned. And instead of her just sort of feeling pity for herself in her widowhood, she has given this church, you see. She's hosting these brothers at Laodicea. Paul greets these brothers who are leading the church at Laodicea, and then he mentions Nympha, of course, there. And then he turns to the church as a whole later in verse 16. Do you see? The leaders, the brothers, the women who's hosting them, he commends all of these people, and of course the wider church at Laodicea. Affirmation. And notice that Paul here doesn't just affirm the people he mentions in these verses. When we step back and look at Colossians as a whole, we realize that how did the letter start? The letter starts by Paul affirming the Colossians themselves. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. It feels like a long time ago since we looked at these verses. We may forget. Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. To the saints, and here's for an affirmation, faithful brothers. In Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We share the same Father in Christ. And then he says this. We always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ. And the love you have for all the saints. That's an affirmation. You are true believers. And I spend every hour. Every minute. When, I think, when, it, when, I, when you come to my mind. I'm thanking God. For you. You see, by God inspiring Paul to affirm other followers of Christ throughout this letter, the Bible is teaching us that God wants his people to affirm one another, to commend each other, to praise one another. God wants you to cheer on other followers of Christ when you see them living in a way that honors God, when they display Christ like qualities. Are you doing that? God wants you to compliment believers serving Christ faithfully like Elder Tychicus. Those who are living a changed life like Onesimus and Mark. He wants you to affirm them, to recognize them, to tell them that God is at work in their lives. Are you doing that? God wants you to publicly celebrate those believers he's using to bring comfort to your life. As Paul publicly commends Aristarchus, Mark and Justus, these men have been a comfort to me. Are you commending other believers God is using to strengthen you? 
Are you telling them that? Are you telling others about them? Are you saying, God has been using so and so? Are you declaring God's praises by affirming them? God wants you to, as we might say, wax lyrical about believers who are giving themselves to pray for others, to big them up. To the point of exhaustion, those believers were praying to the point of exhaustion like Epaphras of Colossae. Is somebody praying for you? Are there people in the life of the church who are constantly remembering you in prayer? God wants you to work lyrical about them. God wants you to speak well of individuals who are Christ-like. Like Nympha or groups of people, not just individuals, groups of people who show their true faith in Christ like the Colossians and the Laodiceans. Listen, we are not short of things that God is doing in the lives of his people that we can acknowledge to the praise and glory of God and to encourage them to do those things further. And now, another context also here is very much the church, because that's the context, but this is also true in our own lives. At home, we could have a whole sermon here about the importance of parents commending their children because they see the image of God being reflected in them. We could say the same thing in the context of workplaces. But we are restricting it to the context of the church, but think widely these applications, okay? God wants all true followers of Christ who affirm one another. Now, this, of course, raises the question, doesn't it? Why do we need to commend each other in this way? Why is Paul doing it? Why does this matter to God? Well, I've already hinted on the reasons, but let me just give you, let me just summarize the answer like this. Because the answer is our second truth. Affirming one another is who we are in Christ. It is who we are in Christ. So God wants us to affirm one another. Why? Because affirming one another is who we are in Christ. Paul here gives us two reasons why affirming one another is who we are in Christ. Two reasons. First, affirming one another is who we are because we are one family in Christ. One family in Christ. You know... Some of you have had children doing sports day, right? Or grandkids doing sports day, right? Now, as we're doing sports day or they're involved in a sort of maybe a competitive activity, uh, I don't know, football, swimming, whatever it is they're involved in, and you as a parent turn up or a grandparent and you're watching them do that, do you just keep quiet? I mean, there are people who are like that, I admit it. I mean, <laughs> they'll go somewhere and they're just quiet. I mean, we have people who come to prayer meetings to pray, but don't pray. So, of course, sometimes I, I have been to a stadium before, and I'm, I'm, I'm watching football with somebody, and they're not cheering on. I mean, that's bizarre, isn't it? Now, think about it from a parent's perspective. You are there, sports day. So, of course, you're going to shout out, aren't you? You're not going to just keep quiet. You want to cheer her on. You want to make sure she does well. You want to give her good vocal support. You've turned up, yes, that's good. But you also want to give her or him vocal support. People of the same family support one another, not only with actions, but also with their words. And Paul is echoing this. In his, in, we see something of this modeling in Paul's affirmation of, this, uh, of, of Tychicus in verse 7. Because look how Paul describes it. Tychicus would tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Notice there, he's a family member. Paul is saying, Tichikas is not a foreigner, he is family. We are in the Lord with him. He is a brother. 
We, we affirm one another because we are one family in Christ. And people of the same family affirm one another. They encourage each other with words. Secondly, affirming one another is who we are because we have a shared purpose to serve Christ. That's the second reason. All true believers are fellow workers in the kingdom of Christ. Listen, you do not expect people on the same side doing tag of war to trade insults. <laughs> I mean, again, I have sort of seen people get frustrated. They are, in the, you know, they are on the same side doing tag of war and they think the other person is not pulling their weight and they start insulting them. That never works. If you insult me, I'll just walk away. <laughs> and that's one person less on the tag of war. So, so we don't expect that, do we? We expect people, if they aren't doing tag of war, they're on the same side, pulling in one direction, to give each other encouragement. Keep on going, keep on going, right? In the same way, all true believers are on the same side. Team Jesus, we might say. We have the same goal, don't we? To see the kingdom of God grow in this world. That's what Aristarchus and and, and Mark and Jesus Justice are doing. They are fellow workers for the kingdom. And because we are fellow workers of the kingdom as well, we must support each other to serve King Jesus and promote the growth of his kingdom. That's the point Paul is echoing in verse 10 to 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Paul is saying, these three men are working with me for the kingdom. They are striving side by side with me for the same purpose, to serve Christ. And so Paul's affirmation of these men is rooted in his belief that they are members of the same family. Members, not just members of the same family, but fellow workers for the kingdom. So those are the two reasons. We must affirm one another because it is who we are in Christ. That's the main point. Why? Because we are in the same family and we share the same goal of promoting the glory of God on earth. Now, as we affirm one another in Christ, what are we doing? We are encouraging each other to keep on living for God. And this then enables people to grow, those people we are affirming. They, they then serve God more, and as they serve God more, well, God is glorified, isn't it? Listen, when Paul says of Onesimus there, in verse 9, is our faithful and beloved brother. What do you think those words are doing? to Onesimus' heart as he hears them. They are growing his confidence. This is a former slave. This is somebody who was messed up. And now he hears the Apostle Paul affirming him where they are growing his confidence. Onesimus is thinking to himself, Christ really has changed my life. I know not everyone agrees with me. I know not everyone agrees with Paul. But Paul knows what he's talking about. If he's seen evidence that God has changed me, it must be really true. He's the apostle of Christ. And so Onesimus is, is encouraged by that. You know, if someone at Colossae remembers the bad things Onesimus did, you know, messing up with what, uh, Onesimus or some other things he may have said, he feels sad about himself, right? All Onesimus needs to do is not remain feeling sad, but read verse 9 to himself. 
and with Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And we can imagine as Onesimus reads that, hearing those words of Paul, they fill Onesimus with such tears of joy and words of praise to God. He is encouraged in Christ afresh. You see, when we rave about how other believers are living for God, our words are proclaiming that God is at work in them. That not only encourages them, but it also directly gives God glory, doesn't it? When Paul affirms Mark here, how does he affirm Mark? He says, when Mark comes, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. What is Paul declaring there to God, before them, about what God is doing? Paul is saying, Christ has the power to mend any broken relationship. He did it for me and Mark, and he can do it for your relationships as well. That's praising the power of God, just by the way he mentions Mark. And that also means that when we do not commend other followers of Christ, when we, do, when we deny them praise, People whom we have a shared identity and purpose in Christ, and we see God is at work in them, but we don't mention it. What are we doing? We are robbing God Himself of praise. We are passing up the opportunity to acknowledge God. Beloved, that's not a small thing. You know it's a serious thing for you to rob God of many. <laughs> Malachi tells us that. Well, it's, so, it's even more serious, I would argue, to rob God. Of his praise. So let me ask you. Are you growing in praising God. By affirming his work of grace. In other followers of Christ. Are you as a believer. One who routinely. Commends other followers. Are you an affirmer of the brethren. Let me put it this way. In what way have you grown over the last year in praising the brothers and sisters who are sat next to you? Who are in this room right now? Do you regularly take time to intentionally tell other followers of Christ just how they are growing in Christ and and where they have encouraged you? When was the last time you said to another follower of Christ here, um, other than your spouse or your children, you know what? I thank God for you. I thank God for you because of dash, dash, dash. That's how Paul the old, begins most of his letters. <clears throat> Do you think believers who know you well regard you as someone who talks up other believers or someone who talks them down? And as I said, think of this also in the home. This is interesting, isn't it? Do you think your children think you're a parent who talks them up or constantly talks them down? Children, do you think your parents think you are one who talks them up or talks them down? Or even worse, or just as bad, you're a person who just never says anything. You appreciate what's being done. You appreciate what God is doing in the life of someone, but you never say it. You never say. You never use the opportunity to encourage another believer. Or you never use the opportunity to praise God on their account. Now, <laughs> I get the impression 
Speaking to believers, that many of us don't think this is important. We look at all the commands in the Bible and we think, well, this is just, well, it's not on the top list. I mean, the Bible says do this, do that, do that. Affirmation, well, if I do it, maybe if I don't, doesn't matter. Right? I just want to say this. You need to take this affirming of other true followers of Christ seriously. It is not an option. Because this truth is meant to be a fruit of who you are in Christ. If you love Christ, you desire to praise him. Do you love Christ? Do you desire to praise him? Well, one way in which you, de- you show that you're praising Christ is by commending the evidence of his image in his children. We read Psalm 145. All your works shall praise you. If God truly is at work in the lives of his children, and you as a believer love God, why wouldn't you use every occasion as as an opportunity to praise him. So love of God is at stake here. But love of God's children is also at stake here. Right? If you love Christ, you will love his people. And if you truly love his people, the clear way in which you express you love other followers of Jesus is that you encourage them by affirming them. So no, no, so no. Beloved, this isn't some academic thing we are talking about here. If you are not growing in commending other believers of the clear evidence of God's goodness in their lives, you are not loving Christ and you're not loving his people. And that's a dangerous situation to be in. A perilous situation to be in. It suggests, regardless of how much the Bible you know, that you are living a self-focused and self-worshipping life. You are lacking a loving heart for God and his people. And you need, beloved, to agently run to God. You need to fall on your knees. You need to tell God, oh Lord, how I have trampled on your righteousness. How I have chipped the blood of Christ that you've shed on that cross for me. I have seriously let you down. I have not been holy. I have not loved you. I have not exhorted you as I should. Because I have seen no evidence of me commending your work in others. I have let you down, O oh Lord. I have let down not only you, but your children. Confess it to God. Confess it and say, this, Lord, Lord, is a huge issue for me. I am too self-focused and you will not share heaven with any self-worshippers. I am so thankful that you have flagged this issue up for me. Because I thought I was all that. But actually there's a lot more repentance I need to be doing. There's a lot more growing that needs to be done. Forgive my wretchedness. Have mercy, O oh Lord, on my soul. Beloved, this is no small issue. I just want to say, if you are hearing this, you're like, oh, just another dog. 
Oh, may the Lord have mercy on you. Because if there's no desire in you to take this issue seriously and to repent of this, then the real issue here is that you're not a true believer, regardless of how much mileage you've got in the church. The reason you can't affirm people is that you cannot affirm what you can't see. And the reason you can't see God's goodness in other people is that you are blind and still stuck in your sins. And until God gives you light, until God opens your dark eyes, you're still on the road to hell. But the good news of Jesus is that Christ died in our place. For our sin. Christ died to to save us from the punishment of God that we deserve for our sin. And what you need to do is to recognize that yet again here, this is more evidence presented before you of the darkness of the human heart. The fact that you are heading to suffer eternal punishment in hell. Acknowledge that now and come before God and cry out to him to save you from sin. Leaning only... On, this, on the finished work of Christ. Because once you repent, once you cry out to God, say, Lord, make me clean. Well, God will wash away all the filthy stains of sin. He will move you from self-focused living to God-centered living, from self-worshipping to worship of him. And a fruit of that is that you will now see evidence in your life of a desire to affirm God's work in the life of others. So again, we find ourselves that perhaps what you may think is an academic issue becomes, as it always does, a salvation issue. Now, some of us here, perhaps we've seen evidence of some growth in commending others. There's evidence that we are trusting in Jesus and we have new life and we desire to affirm others. And, and as I speak, this is resonating with you. You have evidence of it, and, but you desire to do more of this. You are not listening and saying, Chola, move along. No, you're saying, I want to know now, how can I grow in this? I desire to grow in this. Lord, forgive me for my wretchedness. Forgive me for not taking this issue seriously. And help me to grow in this. And you're asking, how do I do it, though? Beyond simply praying for it. Well, the answer is our third and final truth, isn't it? And the final truth is that we must practice affirmation biblically. We, grow, we must grow in biblical affirmation. Five biblical principles Paul gives us here. We can learn from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give you five. And then we'll end. Five biblical principles that we learn from Paul here about how we are meant to affirm one another. Things we need to grow in. Okay? The first principle is this. Our affirmation must be timely. We must affirm or commend the good we see in other believers when we see it. Don't delay it. You see some good, you see something of God's work in the life of a saint, commend it. Point it out. Paul has clearly seen something commendable in the people here. And he's letting them know at the, at the earliest opportunity. He's letting these believers know they are living right and they are honoring God. Be timely, beloved, in your affirmation. 
Parents, if, if, you, if your child has done well in an exam, right, do you wait until next year to congratulate them? Of course not. Why not? Well, because it won't mean anything. First of all, you need to congratulate them early so that you can encourage them further. But also, if you don't do it, if you wait until a year, then they'll be like, well, if dad cared about how well I did, why is it taking me a year to point it out? Affirmations must be timely. We must get on and do it. In the same way, in, even with believers, you've got to do it as soon as you can so that it glorifies God soon, as soon as possible, and it encourages them in their work as soon as possible. As a Sunday school teacher, encourage your child today in some way. Well, why not take out Sunday evening to send them an email? Don't wait until Christmas. Do it now. Say, I'm so thankful with the way you are setting aside time to teach my children. And remember, we don't always have to commend people directly to their face. We are allowed, this is one of the things we are allowed to do behind people's backs. We can praise people behind their back. Yes, it is always more beneficial to affirm people in their face so that they are encouraged by it. But sometimes it's not immediately practical. So we should still affirm them to someone else because even though they don't hear it, God hears it and God is praised on account of that. And again, this principle of timeliness is not simply for how we affirm each other in the church. Bear that in mind. There are some nuances about how we deal with unbelievers, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you about how affirmation works in those contexts. But in the home, wherever God has placed you, be timely in your affirmation. Secondly, second principle, our affirmations must be what? Christ-centered. Christ-centered. That is to say, the praise or commendation must have affirmed things in people that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here that Tychicus is being praised for being a what? A beloved brother, not a hated brother. He is a faithful minister for Christ, not a shiny suit preacher. Luke is being praised for being a beloved, if you like, NHS consultant to other believers, a good physician, not an overpaid junior doctor or something like that. He is a physician who images the great physician. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. That's a commendation, isn't it? And as we affirm other believers, let us focus, as I said, on those Christ-like qualities that show that they are living as people in whom Christ dwells. Be Christ-centered in how you praise or commend other people in your life. Point out things in them that show that Christ is truly at work in them. Even with children. I'd love to have a conversation with parents here about how that affirmation can work for a child. Not yet regenerate. But there are ways you can commend the image of God in that child. But be, as it were, Christ-centered as you do it. So what do I mean by that? Don't just say our pianist, after he plays, you should commend him. But don't just say to our pianists, you're doing great. You're making us sing so beautifully. No. Say to them, I thank God for giving you the hands that helps us adore the one whose hands bled for us. Commend them and commend Christ. Okay, but be careful how you do that. You, you do this. There's some nuances around that, right? But you get the point. Don't, don't, you know, 
Speak to me if you are interested in commending some of our pianists. Just do it properly, right? We, we don't want you to come out bad. Like, whoa, 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 where did that come from? Say, you know what I'm talking about. You got, you got to say it right. You got to say it right. It's going to be decent and properly and Christ-honoring. And don't overdo it. Uh, there, there can be problems with that. Do it appropriately. Women commend women. Men commend men. That's the, that's the first principle, right? So, timely, Christ-centered. Keep Christ at the center, right? Third thing, third principle, affirmations must be specific. Specific. Paul is naming names here. And he wants these people to know how much he values them. And he is saying it to them. And notice Paul is not just naming specific people, he's naming their specific actions. Look at how specific he is about Epaphras in verse 12 to 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus, greets you always, something he commends him, for struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's why he says, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea. And in our, he's specific even to the geography of his work. They know that, but they need to hear it. And Epaphras, as he sees a copy of this letter, needs to read that and be encouraged by that. Is specific with Luke, isn't it? And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. He could have just said that Luke greets you. But he points out that he's a physician. Because he's commending him. He's being specific about an aspect of Luke's life that's important. Luke is a physician to believers in Christ under heavy persecution. Beatings, Luke is there. Caring perhaps for their mental health, Luke is there. He's specific. He commends that. We could have a whole sermon about Luke, couldn't we? And of course, he wrote the gospel. But the poison focusing on that at the moment. He's focusing on this, his aspect as a physician. So, in the same way, our commendations must be specific. We need to look for specific godly things that people are doing and commend them. Don't commend people in generalities. Point to Christ like qualities in the person. Look at Christ and then see specific traits in people. Who follow Christ and commend those. Listen, don't just say, I have noticed you are always calm. That's not a commendation really, is it? Be specific. Say, I was encouraged with the way you handled that unexpected criticism or that awkward moment. Oh, it was so Christ-like. Thank you for that. You challenged me and I'll continue to pray for you in that. Be specific. With the children, it's the same thing. We've got to be specific. In the places of work, with those we manage, we've got to be specific. With our neighbors, the same thing. We must be specific. But of course, I'm talking about believers here, isn't it? Now, for us to do well among believers, it, we need to make, for us to do this well, we need to make time for it. Which means maybe at the end of every Lord's Day, sit back, look past this past week, see where you've noticed God is working, who, whose life God has really challenged you or encouraged you, Write down a few names. Then, Sunday evening, send out some few emails or plan how you're going to commend them during the week. If you're going to be specific, you're going to be, you're going to be intentional. I mean, we're amazed that Paul has that long list in Romans 16. Are you not amazed? How does Paul know all of that? I think Paul was doing what I'm saying. He wrote people down. He thought of them. And he was intentional about commending them. You've got to make time for this if you're going to be a commander like Paul. Fourth principle, moving on quickly. 
Our affirmations must be honest. Honest. Paul is honest about those he is commending. We know that Paul only commends the commendable. How do we know? Actually, we know that from this commendation he gives here about Demas. In this letter, Paul commends Demas because Demas at this time was behaving in a commendable way. He was behaving as a true believer should. Right? But later on, when Demas starts behaving poorly, Paul does not commend Demas in his letter. Actually, what he says is this. Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. So, this just, so when we think of 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, and we compare what's going on in, in Colossians 4, uh, verse 14, we realize Paul is doing, oh, did his commendations honestly. And we too must commend people honestly. It's simply, beloved, one do for you to make up phony commendations of others. That's flattering them. No, that's not biblical. Don't commend people falsely, not in the home, not in the church. Don't, you know, don't, don't commend your husband to other people as the most wise, loving, and gracious soul you have never known unless he is really those things. And if he is, you should have told him first, of course, before you tell others. You know, parents, be like, I just want to say, you know, I hear parents do this all the time. Oh, my child is doing well, you know, he's really focused, he's doing, but he's not, is he? You're wrongly commending the person. Do not commend in sin. Commending things that are false is an inner sin. Listen, what it does is, it's not only sinful, it damages the person we are commending. And it will also damage your life with them. Be careful what you affirming people. You will get more of it. If you keep affirming sinful behavior in your spouse, she'll just get more sinful. She'll just get more sinful. So comment what is true. Even in friends. Even in the home. And especially among the household of faith. If you have nothing positive to say about your husband, don't say it. <laughs> or your wife. Just keep quiet. Pray that they change. But don't give an impression they are behaving properly or they are honoring Christ if they are not. Or ask for prayers. That's even good, isn't it? If you have nothing positive to say. Listen. Biblical affirmations must be truthful. And we can only affirm truthfully if we have a heart that loves God and loves those he has placed in our lives. And those who affirm truthfully persevere in their affirmations, they carry on because it comes out of who God has made them to be. One of the reasons why you may struggle with not affirming people regularly is that you put it on. You see, if your heart is the heart of an encourager, because God has changed your heart and given you that, it will just come out. It will just come out. But the reason it's in dreams and drabs is because it's not coming from here. Perseverance must, for it to continue, must be a hard thing. And for us as parents, we need to ask God to, I know I'm sort of majoring on parents, yes, holidays, isn't it? So may as well 
if we're gonna affirm our children, because it's so important, I wish I had a sermon about how that works, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we appreciate what God has given in front of us. But just on that point, I can't pass it up and say, it is so important as parents that we affirm from here. Because if we're just affirming from here, we are manipulating our children. We need to do it from here. And if it's done from here, to persevere, to have a lasting impact on them. So one of the things we need to be praying for as parents, and as leaders in the church, as well for those that are leading the church, is that we, God would give us a heart that affirms from the heart. Right? Final thing, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. We must affirm with words as well as actions. I just want to point out that some of the most powerful affirmations combine words with actions. As Paul does in verse 7 to 8. Notice in verse 7 to 8, he has sent Tichikas, doesn't he? Uh, he says, Tichikas will tell you all about my activities, the beloved brother and the faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your heart. And with him, Onesimus, our beloved and faithful our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. The point I'm making is that Paul is affirming Tychicus and Onesimus, uh, not only saying encouraging things about their characters, but also sending them with this letter. That is a huge level of trust that Paul is putting into this man. And that action of just trusting them with this important letter in of itself shows that it trusts these are godly men. You see, there's the words he said, but there's also what he's done. And we see the same thing with the Lord Jesus, don't we? The Lord Jesus affirmed the disciples as people, not only with words, but especially as he kneels down and as he washes their feet. When he washes Peter, Peter is doubting. Peter wants all his body to be washed. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm washing you like this because you're already clean. The point is his words and the action affirms them as his own. You can affirm a brother or sister by asking them to pray for you about an issue in your life. Now, that seems like a small thing, but that request says, I know you are a true believer. And I know that when you pray, God hears. That encourages them, beloved. You can also affirm people by asking them for advice. If you ask somebody for an important advice on some issue, right? Whether you're going to hear their advice or not is irrelevant. The very act of you turning to a brother and sister and says, I'm making these life-changing decisions. What do you think about it? What are you doing with that? What you're saying to them is this. I trust your wisdom in this. I know you're a true follower of Christ. I know God has placed me in your life for this very purpose that you may encourage me and I would encourage you. I value your opinion. You are commending them in that. Well, let's end here, shouldn't we? Three truths we've learned. God wants us to affirm each other. That's the first truth. Why does God want us to do that? Second truth, affirming one another is who we are in Christ. Okay. So how do we do it? Well, we say we must do it biblically. That's the third truth. And we've just learned five principles there of how God wants us to do it. Timely. It must be Christ-centered. It must be specific. It must be honest. And it must not only be verbal, but also combined with action where appropriate. Well, may the Lord help us to grow in affirming one another. Amen.